Welcome, everybody. I'm very excited to be here with Enrico Casarosa, the director of Luca, <laughs> and Andrea Warren, the producer of Luca. I'm going to ask you a question about your early years. Why did you decide to go into animation? Well, it's fun because Enrico and I have talked a lot about being kids. And it's funny because I, I think we could have been friends at that age because I we had some very similar things, which was just loving imagination, loving thinking there could be more. I always really loved like the Chronicles of Narnia and that idea that like maybe in the back of the wardrobe behind the coats is like a portal to a whole nother world. And maybe it's there only if you believe in it, you know, or if you imagine it. So I was, um, very much a dreamy kid lost in thought and thinking of stories and all of that. So um, I really loved all that. And when I, when I, you know, got to choose what I studied and I went to a liberal arts college and I studied English and I studied art. Those were the two things that I, I adored. And I was really happy to discover really animation brought those together. You know, I grew up in, you know, the middle of America where it's farmland and there's no film industry. No one's thinking about that or aspiring to that. If you would even say that people would say you're, you're being impractical. Um, but I moved to California and it was fun to really discover like, wait a minute, actually you can make a living doing this. And, um, and I just, I've been delighted ever since. So yeah, I did an internship in college. Um, and then I went to Pixar after that. I've been there 23 years. So um, <laughs> I've enjoyed it. Uh, you know, I love the fact that at a place I can work at one place, but we can work on all these different projects with all these different people and, and it feels different all the time. So that's my love of animation. It really brings together two things that, that I already was just naturally interested in. Yeah, like, like for me, when, when I was a kid, I did love drawing. And you, we grew up with Topolino, with all these wonderful, really early on, with a lot of actually, you know, drawing Donald Duck. I love Paperinik. And, 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 you know, so I would, I, I definitely had a love for drawing and, um, and comics. So then as I became a teenager, I just loved comics. And, you know, in, in Italy, we, we have a lot of Dylan Dog and all, all these kind of like, you know, black and white kind of um, or very available to, to us kind of comics. And um, and then Marvel even. I actually, I, I, I tell people I learned a lot of English through buying the original X-Men's and, and Spider-Man. And that was the first love. And I did two years of engineering, so I totally was going the wrong way. So I always loved to draw, but it was my side uh, passion. Uh, I remember drawing comics during uh, high school that would make fun of our friends or the teachers. And my best friend would egg me on and, and you know, it's tell me draw more. But um, it, it really became... Uh, obvious that I was studying the wrong thing. I was drawing on the side of my books instead of studying. <laughs> and um, it made me go and really uh, discover a little more. The world of illustration was the first thing I needed to do. I didn't even know exactly what graphic design versus illustration was. So I really, at the time when I was in my early 20s, had to look into it and, uh, and realize that animation and actually what happened to me is like I, I you know in the library of the uh, Instituto Europeo di Design in Milan I remember taking out the illusion of life the, the big tome um, and looking at 
these beautiful, you know, nine old man drawings of animation. And I was like, really kind of uh, starting to get impression like there's something magical about not only your drawings will come to life, right? And, and, and that was put together with all this amazing animation that we grew up with in, in Italy, that we consume Japanese animation uh, through the um, TV. So those two things then kind of came together and I realized, wait, there was these cartoons that I loved and I mentioned often Future Boy Conan as something that, wow, I love this so much, why? And that is how I started really realizing that there was something in animation that was really extra appealing. There was a sense of it being elsewhere, being in the US and, and I had also traveled to the US. So my parents, um, as much as maybe in the movie, if you think of Luca as me, my parents might sound a little bit uh, controlling, but actually my, my dad was into traveling. He, he worked in Alitalia and we had come to the US a couple of times when I was a kid. So they did give me this sense of learning the language is an important part of, you know, being in the world, learning English and, 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 and languages. And so that came slowly together as a sense of like, there might be something out there for me and, and, and moving illustration, moving drawings was so exciting. Do you paint yourself? I am not a painter in the sense of uh, I'm going to sit down and, and do this beautiful um, oil. Uh, but I, I, you know, I started loving being outside and using pencils and watercolors and, and you know, travelogging. You know, I made a comic book about uh, meeting my wife. It's called The Venice Chronicles. And just it, it became a, a way of really chronicling and, and sometimes doing autobiography. And when you're outside, it's really it's really fun to just capture what you're looking at. Um, so not a painter, maybe painter sounds a little like a big word, but... <laughs> I love to go out there and get, you know, watercolor is so accessible, right? Because like when you think about oils, they can feel a little bit like, whoa, I, I you know, what am I going to do with it? But um, I, I come from a sketching and being quick kind of a, a impressionistic kind of a wanting to capture things quick because of storyboarding. And so that I found that that was my, my way to kind of try and capture things around me. Wow, Luca, ah! that was hard to watch. You uh, coming? We do not go anywhere near the surface. Got it? Everything good is above the surface. Walking, air, <gasps> the sky, clouds, the sun. Whoa, don't look at it. Just kidding, definitely look at it. Have you ever gone to the human town? Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of an expert. today hmm? hey leave them alone hop on go start a club for losers my name is Giulia Marcovaldo we underdogs have to look out for each other what's under the dogs <laughs> this is my dad what do you think he kills with those anything that swims <laughs> ah. huh? <laughs> 
is so much cooler than mine. There's a million things you think you can't do. All you need is a chance to try. <laughs> Something's fishy with you two. This is too dangerous. I know your problem. You got a Bruno in your head. A Bruno? Say, Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Louder. Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Silencio Bruno. Can you still hear him? Nope, just you. Good. Now hang on. Uh, uh, Silencio Bruno. What's wrong with you, stupido? You do it now. Just say the thing. What's wrong with you, stupido? <gasps> I want to ask a question about the origins and genesis of the story of Luca. It's, it's always for me like these two or three things that kind of come together. From I, I remember feeling the same way with, with La Luna, which is like, you have you have to you know the inspiration really has two to three sides to it but but that there's always something that we did get something personal and so where is it going to be something juicy and relationship based something to talk about and so my friendship with my best friend is really at the heart of uh, even the early pitch i showed this silly a uh, uh, picture of me in, in tube socks and speedos with my best friend uh, uh, in by Punta Chiapa, which is where we would go and and uh, fish and and so just that special friendship, um, you know, stand by me comes to mind as like one of those wonderful uh, ideas of like what is it about those friendships in those years that is so special? And when I thought about mine, it was like he was so different from me. You, Alberto is, is his true name, and he was just so uh, so much of a passionate go-getter, and he had a new thing every day. So it made me realize I would have never had all these adventures. I wouldn't have I wouldn't have had these these you know opportunities to challenge myself and and you know metaphorically and literally jump off these cliffs um, that we spent on the Riviera. So that relationship wanting to unpack it, asking myself how much is a part of who I became. Uh, and then it came with the setting, which was the fun part. It kind of, well, there's something special there. I've always thought that, uh, you know, I even made a comic with Cinque Terre as a setting uh, many years ago. So I just love the place there. And having left Liguria, that, that stays in your heart um, even more so. So that element then came together with always, you always ask yourself, why do we bring something fantastical? And um, I've just always been fascinated with changelings and folklore from all over the world, tanukis and foxes from Japan that can look human and, and, and transform, um, the selkies of Ireland that, that also have this ability, their seals that, that can look human. I've always been fascinated by that because there's this wonderful idea that as a kid, you could wonder if there's more than meets the eye uh, and that imagination gets kind of sparked. So um, I started thinking of what if there's a whole other side to a town 
and that started thinking like oh maybe there you know uh, is there sea monsters involved here i always love these old maps and the beautiful illustrations there's something magical about maps in general i think and when you talk about the edges of maps again there, there's this wonderful area of imagination mixed with sightings and um i i just love what what that represents there's a bit of a fear but wonder for the unknown so that kind of came into this idea oh maybe there's maybe there's this kid who, who needs to meet this friend to to help find himself and, and what are they dealing with what if they are sea monsters and they can't show themselves that really came together something interesting because it felt like it had contained something of the awkwardness of growing up and awkwardness of being feel like outsiders or having some sort of a shame that was already in the first pitch and and then you know we went on this journey to really dig deeper in, in there this is the first time i've worked with enrico and um you know it's just been a really fun adventure the films usually take about five years to do in total and i join in year four which is a little unusual i joined a little late i mean you know for me i just loved la luna i just love that sensibility and i love the idea of bringing that um to the the feature length film i mean i've seen the story changed a ton since then i think that you know that's why it takes so long to make these movies i mean really a lot of it a lot of those years are really hammering at the story. And I think, you know, our audiences, when they experience the story, our hope is that the story feels, you know, inevitable, that it is what it is, like, and that it couldn't have been anything else. Um, but it was a lot of other things, you know, and I think that especially when we talk to students and others um, who are aspiring, I always really want to make it clear just how much work that is and just how much iteration and just how much change. And I think that being a partner to Enrico along that journey, you know, a lot of it is really that question of like, what do you hold tight in the center of like, what is your North Star, we kind of call it like, what is the thing that, you know, a lot of different elements of the story can come and go, but what are you really holding on to as the core? And I think, you know, in this case, that was really talking about the friendship, um, and then we eventually kind of really nailed down that it was that ending that we really wanted and that every all roads had to lead to that. So, you know, I think that um, and letting the story kind of become what it wants to be is definitely a journey. So, yeah, it's a lot of uh, twists and turns in that path. And, you know, we, we put the screen, you know, lots of screenings up um, to make sure that we're heading in the right direction. But it's it's not always easy to know if you're going in the right direction. You know, it's a lot of gut checks. And, you know, we're lucky at Pixar, obviously, to have a lot of other people um, who are great filmmakers uh, to ask their opinions as well. So those are some of my bits of advice that, that fall into anyone out there wanting to do this as well is like, it's going to change a lot you know, figure out what your gut, your center gut is and, and pull in, um, you know, advisors that you trust. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the opening and closing sequences. It's very beautiful. The way the story is framed at the beginning, that gives that sense of uh, fable. You can't really differentiate between the water and the sky. There's something really fun about talking about that first sequence because how to start a movie like this was just def definitely a, a big question for us. We tried it many different ways, as you can imagine. And of course, 
you want to bring a little bit of the magic of, of La Luna. And I do love that we ended with this mood that feels very similar up front. Um, I, I think the interesting, the interesting problem that a lot of these movies have is that you're, you're, you're drawing the audience into a new world and you're just trying to explain that world, right? It's really what that first scene needs to set up. I remember trying it in many different ways and it always felt a little bit I was being told uh, something. And then we, we realized that I think we, we really needed to um, dramatize the world. That scene started working once we told ourselves, well, okay, we do need to teach something here to the audience, but let's dramatize what this world problem is and what, what happens here when these two different worlds come together so um when we started thinking about it that way then okay it was a little bit of okay let's set up the fear and and let's set up this world we're in italy and the music is definitely a huge part of that once we found that wonderful little quartetto cetra umbacio mezzanotte from the logos on and that was actually one of our uh, collaborators idea that he proposed that to me justin pearson his name and, I, and we we all listened to it it was like oh my god i'm already in the mood here it's a 1940s song you're just placed so, that it's amazing how much that song does before any image so it was like that it's a you know talk about amazing collaborators and, and an amazing team and and then once we get to get, you know, meet these two fun little fishermen, it was really fun to kind of play a little bit with the idea of a new generations is maybe more worried than actually the old one, the old one's a little bit like, you know, ah, you worry too much, you know. But of course, these two guys needed to place us uh, and it was important to get good accents, good actors, and, and these are both uh, Italian actors. And um, and then it was the fun of dramatizing. How does it go wrong? How does fear make things go wrong? And how do we kind of you know give you a glimpse of the monsters? And then you know when we started playing with Gianni Schicchi's Mio Babino Caro, um, Maria Callas started to work with that. Uh, aria made me realize the power of Maria Callas. Mm -hmm. uh, you can take that aria by anybody else, and, and I, I, I'm going to sound pretty harsh, and it doesn't have half the pathos. It doesn't have half the dram dramatic uh, uh, feelings that Maria Callas could bring. It, it, it was just stunning to, we tried it a few different ways. We did, yeah. I mean, you know, you have to obviously pay for the different versions, and we were like, well, what about this other one? Yeah, no, of course, no, the Maria Callas sure. one was the, the most expensive thing we paid for, but, uh, but it was absolutely uh, stunning. So I had such an appreciation for her, her um, talent after that and just bringing all sounds down, letting that, that music envelop us in this kind of dramatic thing. And, uh, but I basically, I was like, let's set up what happens when these two worlds interact um and, and it goes wrong and and you know it, it, ultimately alberto uh, uh is kind of mysterious some people even don't necessarily I, i've heard i had people oh that was alberto but not everybody catches it and I, i'm okay with that i think it's all right but i think of course he's the guy who's stealing stuff you know so that just started feeling like oh i, I i'm interested i'm dramatizing something i'm not being told as an audience member too much 
So that was the interesting key uh, to finding it. The, the ending, I, I, I think I didn't very consciously think about beginning and ending too strongly because uh, it was almost two different puzzles for me. And so then the ending was interestingly um, came maybe like a third into the production that, that we realized that I, I had a conversation with my best friend, actually. We were talking about it. We didn't have an, a goodbye yet. And we, we started talking about like how we were so close and that, that, that there was a moment in our life that we kind of had to move on and go into our paths. And it actually would have been a mistake to hang on together because we wouldn't have gone to our destinies, right? He, he became a, a, an Italian military air force pilot. Um, and I, and I, you know, so he had a crazy, beautiful uh, career that he still has. And I had to leave. So that made me realize that there was uh, something more to say about friendship. And uh, we started writing this new ending. We boarded it. And we, we like, it just gave us totally this North Star because we felt, we felt emotion. We put a Den Romer track on it. And, uh, you know, we do scratch. We call it scratch uh, temp soundtrack we, we i remember showing it to dan and he started crying and and it was just like it's something was like okay now we that was so such a feeling i felt leaving and that bittersweet very complex emotion felt like such an interesting thing to really put put on the screen i think it was interesting too though because i think we had to really also fine tune it that emotion for the story itself because at the end of the day, Luca is a kid. And when you left Italy, you were older. So I think trying yeah. to, to really fine tune that ending so that it is satisfying, you know, so that parents are on board. He has a goal that we can get behind, which is school. He's going to stay with Julia's mom. We don't feel like he's going to just, you know, fend for himself on the streets of, you know, Genoa, you know, it's yeah. going to be okay. So I think it was an interesting thing to, you know, really fine tune it so that any concerns you had, they were settled. Like Alberto being the one con to convince the parents, the parents showing their support, the way that Alberto goes with Massimo and how making that really feel satisfying and not yeah. just some sort of the lame thing, <laughs> you know, like, but the yeah. real the thing he needed, not just like, yeah. oh, shoot, you couldn't hack it uh, at school. So I guess you'll do this, you know? <laughs> so I think there was, there was These a lot threads. of... Um, yeah, there was a lot of threads that came together in that moment and that we had to keep tracing them back to create the little arc of each one so that it ended in that moment in a satisfying way. Actually, the thread of parents was something we found pretty late. So that was an important one because they needed to come to this real feeling and emotion of allowing for this to happen. Enrico, maybe I can ask you a question about your celebration of cinema, all the movie posters and all the allusions to Italian cinema. It's interesting that in many ways, the classics of Italian cinema, I started discovering when, when I was studying film, which is later in my life. So I was over here already. But, um, you know, thanks to the Criterion, uh, you know, collections and all these amazing ways and, um, you know, Voyage to Italy, uh, Martin Scorsese, right? Like th there's such an appreciation 
for all these wonderful movies. So I, you know, started loving them and, and, and discovering them uh, in my 20s. And I still remember, I keep on bringing up Julietta Mazzina because, of course, there's a lot of, you know, I brought, brought her and her acting um, in, in animation on La Luna. I remember showing them um, the sense of wonder in her eyes from La Strada talking about the, the kid in La Luna and wanting to capture something in uh, that she had that's so special. So Fellini um, and her, it was something that, uh, uh, you know, it's so inspiring and, and beautiful and between, you know, La Strada and Knights of Cabiria. Uh, so that, that starts with Gelsomina right away. Like, you know, it was just a, such a fun way to put the boat, the boat name right up front. And I think some people have caught it, which is really great. And that's um, our character in La Strada. And so from there, then to your point, like when you start really loving Fellini's movies, well, now there's the dream, like this, the surreal. So that actually, it's perfect and wonderfully inspiring uh, when I'm trying to solve the puzzle of how do we bring the, how do I get into the, inside the head of my protagonist? So the imagination now is a daydream. And, and it was so fun that these it gave us these flights of, of fancy. Um, so eight and a half comes in mind um, immediately. As you start the project, you're like, okay, here's another way that we can all get excited about Italian culture. Let's start sharing these movies. Let's start watching these movies. So it started being this, this discovery, even for me, because I hadn't seen um, many of these. Uh, La Terra Trema by Lucchino Visconti amazing reference for us right like it's it's blue collar it's real people real clothing we were looking at it really finally to for reference um what's in the kitchen what's what's the prop you know everything was so uh, beautiful and and really interesting when you think about uh, uh, that culture of small towns you know that that's um that was almost like a, doc a documentary um, and then, of course, bicycle thieves and and the Sika, and you know, and then of course we 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 had this silly idea of of putting Mastroianni as a scamp from divorce Italian style because it just felt very Alberto. So this silly idea of like let's adjust uh, let's adjust the the rearview mirror and there is no mirror but there's a photo i mean that was a bizarre idea and story and then we really chased it and and it was really actually a, an interesting challenge and i think chiara mastroianni is is uh, daughter finally gave us the okay for it um and um i just love that and and even the fact that the animator went to watch divorce italian style and added this tiny little little subtle um gesture that that the character does throughout the movie uh so that's a the, probably the deepest cut that we have in there for the italian uh classics movie lover so uh, it was so fun and it, it went all over the town you know we had so many opportunities to have these little uh you know the graphics were so fun uh josh also Oscola is our, our graphics, our director, and he's amazingly talented. And we had such fun at like, you know, we would start making lists. What are the kind of things we want to put in there? What is, uh, and we really went from using Ligurian words here and there for a nod to the Ligurian um, 
to the dialect and to movie, uh, uh, you know, then to really um, specific little, you know, um, I, I know, for example, my mom's um, grandfather, my great grandfather worked with Enrico Caruso. He was in, he was a singer. He was a baritone singer. So you will see one of the records has his name on it, you know? So it was just like these, really uh, subtle, uh, wonderful opportunities to put things that feel of the place or sometimes are funny. We we made La Vazza into La Tazza. I, I mean, sometimes it's just like we would just goof off. Um, so it, it, it was such a wonderful opportunity to show a sense of time and and also a sense of these little things to look for. Italian culture is at the heart of Luca. How did you infuse the theme with the sense of the quote-unquote real Italy? First of all, it obviously starts with Enrico. You know, that's his background, his heritage. I mean, and, and I think we wanted to make sure that we were capturing this particular part of Italy, this particular time period as well. You know, it's like we didn't want to be stereotypical. We didn't want to be Italian American. You know, we wanted, you know, it to be pesto. We, you know, you can't just have spaghetti and meatballs or whatever, you know what I mean? Like that's, that wouldn't be right. And so, you know, we used uh, Enrico's mother's recipe a bit, you know, and have the potatoes and the green beans and the, you know, the Trinitale pesto. You know, we also uh, hired um, other consultants to work with. We didn't want it to all be on Enrico. Um, we wanted to <laughs> help check memories. Um, we spoke to people who were there at that time, you know, uh, a range of generations, you know, um, which was really fun. We also worked with a, a script consultant who is Italian, and she helped us really make sure we infused the script, especially in with Julia and in the Portoroso scenes, you know, with actual Italian. And we looked for those opportunities where an English speaking audience would understand um, what's kind of happening, but with <laughs> making sure that we kind of added that feeling and flavor and, you know, look for that fun way for, Ju you know, um, Julia to kind of say Santa Mazzarella and her kind of <laughs> cute swearing type kid like swearing and, and just having fun with it. You know, I think that's part of it is just enjoying it. You know, we sent our teams over. Um, there were a couple research trips. One was very early on. Unfortunately, I missed it. It was before I joined the show. But um, that one was focused really on storytelling and place. And then, um, you know, original, you know, like big picture design, our production designer was on that one. But then we sent over another team um, that was all the art directors and the DPs. Um, and, you know, they were just really focused on the light, the water, the feeling of summer heat. Um, and, and, you know, gelato and what it feels like in a town square and the hum of people and the sound of motor scooters and people talking and the bells. It's all of those things combined to make it feel like the right thing. And I think our team is really, their mission then becomes how to take in all of that and distill it down into the kind of details that make you feel like you're there. And, you know, you can't, we don't want to put every detail in. We don't want it to be a photo. We want it to be more of a postcard. We want it to be a storybook that you fall into. You know, we look like really strange tourists when our teams go places because, you know, they're taking pictures of like the corner of the building where the stucco's peeling and they see multiple paint colors and they're like super excited about that or the doorknob or the way that the mosaic is, is um, depicting an octopus or whatever is just a really cool detail that they feel like, 
ooh, we could use that. Um, so it's wonderful to capture visually the sense of it, the felt sense of being there, language, like Enrico's talking about with like the, the graphics and all of those things coming together. I mean, it was fun. Enrico would always say, it has to be this kind of little coffee pot or it would be this or, you know, they would never have this. It would be more like this. And then there's no greater compliment than hearing um, from people in Italy, like it feels right to us because that was absolutely the goal. As you were speaking, you, you made me think about the visual language, the visual storytelling. Maybe you guys can elaborate a bit about uh, the juxtaposition between the underwater world and those colors and the upper world, our world, and ultimately the dream sequences. If you think about, you know, the three things that really are underwater, uh, Puerto Rosso and then the dreams. And when we looked at underwater, it was important to get the cues from, from Liguria. Uh, one is like, there's something about that water, like I, uh, you know, and, and the, the way it goes really deep, the colors you get, they're just such beautiful colors. So we knew we needed to capture the specificity of that and, and also to make it our own. You know, we, we had done um, uh, Australia and, and coral reef, you know, and I knew that there was a way to stay away from things we had done by, by really capturing the authenticity, the beautiful kind of colors you get underwater. Um, the other side is letting the story also tell us what it needed. We needed, for example, a beautiful, colorful world underwater, but also a world that is too small for this kid that is hinting at the fact that he he needs a little more. So we allow the actual natural murk that it's in the water to kind of uh, uh, make things a little um, uh, vague in the distance. So finding the contrast into now we're, we're up on uh, uh, for the first time above the surface and everything is sharp. Everything is uh, in view, uh, focus. Uh, sound was a wonderful way to strengthen that sense from from a a little bit uh you know um less sharp uh sound to now everything is coming at luca so that was important to find a beauty but finding a limit which was an interesting uh problem a puzzle um and i think we also looked at you know with dani with daniela Strigileva, we looked at Bambi as an interesting, uh, um, beautiful inspiration because they did with the forest, these beautiful distant watercolors that would just kind of fade and be more blurry. Um, and so that was one of the thoughts, right? Finding as much contrast. And then once we were up there, punching saturation, feeling the textures, um, we, we joked that like, smooth gradients were our enemy like if there was anything that was smooth gradients just get rid of it um uh, or or anything that would be white and and take down a little bit of uh, uh, any saturation so we wanted to be there we wanted to feel the sun um be very true to the place it's all pebbles right I, like that's why the team having been there helped me so much because now the team was bringing back to me all the, the the details that we needed to make sure to have. No, I wasn't the only one kind of uh, uh, working on that. And that was so invaluable to capture those beautiful details, allowing them to be very textured and 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 made by, by the artists was a big thing. So everything 
a little bit like a stucco wall in the Cinque Terre, right? You can feel someone painted it or you can sometimes feel the, the three layers of a few generations. So we thought, we really thought uh, long and hard how to make sure that these textures stayed nice and chunky and felt and nothing too smooth um, uh, and, and imperfect. So uh, the inspiration of Cinque Terre, everything's a little crooked. Uh, these these um, homes are like, how did they even come up with it? Well, it's addition, and and they are, you know. So we we um, found the essence of it and try to push it a little further. So things got a little tiny bit wonkier. The beautiful green, um, you know, uh, window. Okay, now well, the slats can be a little wonkier, and we're gonna do one window, not fifteen windows. And so it was a lot about finding some emptiness, finding a way to bring the essence of the beautiful architecture and, and colors. The challenge then became, how can we push even further into the dreams? Because we're like, we're already so, <laughs> so, uh, you know, they were like, you want it more saturated? How are we going to do that? And I, I love that challenge because then in the dreams, we found one that we could push the textures even more. And then, and so, and, and actually our set extension team came up with this idea of actually taking big, big brush strokes and uh, textured brush strokes and layering them. So in the Vespa dream where we see them in fields, if you look carefully, and then as they add up into the sky, there's this beautiful parallax of brush strokes that are actually in, in space and they're very chunky. So that was us pushing texture even more. We almost overexposed the character. The characters became a little simpler. So um, we, we really looked and experimented with what kind of lighting would work on them. And it's actually, interestingly, we noticed that anim renders, which are actually very basic lights on them, could have something interesting. So we tweaked different settings for the way they would read so that they would be a little simpler, a little bit overexposed. And then, of course, luckily, we had the fantastical side of them that was giving us also a lot of that um, flavor. But we punched those colors even more. We, we really wanted to go, you know, uh, even one step further. You even thought, okay, well, there's a couple of uh, them that have water. We took the water and made it very peaky and very stylized, uh, the sea. The other wonderful thing I love about it is that, you know, these dreams are getting bigger and bigger in their scope, just mimicking Luca's mind expanding. So we needed to make sure that they were getting crazier. It was such a fun uh, challenge. But again, the, the art team and the lighting team really had to break some things to kind of find this different look, which is really, really uh, exciting. It was fun, too, because with Dan Romer, we could kind of present them as this series and so musically they're linked as well with a with an ever increasing depth and you know breadth of sound you know so that's a fun element that also enhances you know the sense of expansion i think which was really fun you beautifully present in the movie uh luca's perspective and i'm curious to know why he's the only one able to to have dreams and how you use the camera to make us aware that we are watching the manner in which luca uses the glass in 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 the underwater where he picks it up and he's looking and his gaze is framed is what art is trying to do in all of its manifestations to teach the 
spectator, the audience, to see things differently? Well, at the basis of it, right, what I absolutely love and what I was interested in here as a character, as a protagonist, was this alien eye uh, onto our world. And, right, the fish out of water gave us that. And it was so important because it's actually very akin to our, our little bambino in La Luna, because that's the first time he's experiencing someone. So I am really attracted to those kind of characters because they enable me to really put that point of view. And that point of view, um, we then go through him and, and can stop and, 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 and look. And so I, I, I think you're absolutely um, nailing something really important there, which is like, oh, how do we see the world the way we used to? because Luca is the way we used to be. Um, so the idea that we would stay in that point of view from the camera, always lower, from a sense of his curiosity. I think the reason, you know, when you ask like, why Luca? Well, I think he's the most curious, he's the most um, wanting it, wanting this new information, wanting for more and more and more. So it, it has this insatiable sense of wanting to take in the world that I don't think Alberto has as much of. He has plenty of other things, you know, like <laughs> it, that, that he gives Luca. But um, I think that's what was really wonderful. And we, we call them like reveries, the Luca's reveries. And that is kind of what I felt was important to try and bring from La Luna into a feature. And that was actually what was also hard to do because if you have too many reveries, you lose contrast, for example, right? We realized that pacing and I, 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 working with our amazing editor, Catherine Apple, she's a snappy cutter and it really helped me find contrast uh to be completely honest i think she was she was really a wonderful wonderful collaborator we would push and pull and like i think that should be shorter and i'd be like i think you're right or or, or sometimes you'd be like no i need that to be longer <laughs> so it was uh, an, a beautiful collaboration there with, with contentious and, and wonderfully uh uh you know, um, productive. And so those reveries were so important to me because they enabled me to, to do these wonderful little moments. And, you know, I, I go back to the inspiration of Miyazaki to there because he's so amazing at doing that at putting us into the kids world and putting us into this appreciation for nature. So I think that's how I kind of thought of it. It's like a, a, a way for us to appreciate it, a way for us to also love the wonderful little details of a little town, right? That That is not only nature, but then, oh, we can look at Porto Rosso as a whole character with these wonderful little details. So what I love about it is that it enables us to then go to these wonderful little um, definition and specificity and detail of, of that world. It becomes an interesting connection, actually, to I think what we're all experiencing around the world coming out of this pandemic, you know, is like, as we emerge from the shell of our homes, you know, like, can we appreciate and just, you know, I mean, we got to go to Italy, uh, you know, um, a week and a half ago or so here. It just like everything felt so hyper real and amazing. And, and just like the 
everything was delicious and amazing, but it just felt especially so. It felt especially incredible to be there. It felt especially, you know, uh, you know, to jump in the water. It was just like amazing, you know, so much so I couldn't help myself one morning. I was on a walk. I wasn't even in my bathing suit. I'm like, I'm going in, you know, like <laughs> so inviting. I was like, I'm not missing one more chance and walked wet back to the hotel and didn't care. You know, so I just hope that we can, I, I hope that that there's a little bit of an inspiration there as we all sort of reemerge and re-experience and appreciate and use that as a, a way to think and connect and, and, um, and just experience that gratitude of, the beauty that's around us. I have two questions. I have the, the question about Pinocchio, all the evocations and echoes of uh, Pinocchio. The other one is to uh, leave us with some words of uh, advice for young filmmakers out there. Pinocchio, you know, what, what's wonderful is that um, when we thought of the curiosity and what Julia could start showing him, right? We felt like, well, this should be about it all. It shouldn't just be one thing. Um, we wanted to convey a little bit of, so when we thought about, well, there's geography, there's Rome, and then, well, then there's, well, there's storytelling, right? There's novels, there's stories. So I couldn't think of a better version than, than that than bringing Collodi in it. Also, because there was this wonderful connection to the cat and the fox from earlier in the movie. And I think the reason that I always love that song that told me there's something so conspiratorial, we're together going to make some trouble. I mean, the song is actually literally more about being swindled, but there's something it's like it's like Alberto is cat and fox all together, but with a with a good spin, you know, he's going to lead you into some fun trouble. And or you can see cat they, Luca and Alberto become the cat and the fox. So I, I thought that those two things were really fun. They could, you know, play with each other. And by the way, we also put there's a wonderful little idea that the story artist came up with. We made the cat looking like Machiavelli, which I, 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 I love. Um, so that was where it came from. I think that, you know, Benato and his fascination with fables is obvious in that amazing album that has been a big influence on me. So that that's what felt really exciting there. Yeah, I mean, if we want to end with, a, with an advice, there's a lot of steps. So, so I hear a lot of people like, you know, how do I get to Pixar? And I'll just say, <laughs> I'll just say, like, I did not start there. I started with how do I learn? How do I learn? How, how do I even understand animation? So, you know, for, for, if you're amazingly talented, you should set your portfolio and you've been in the industry, but, but for many of us starting, it's okay to start with small steps. I started with school. I started putting my foot in the door at the crappy animation studio. And I learned for quite a few years through, through it all. So, and, and so that is number one. Luca is not leaving to go and join Pixar. Luca is leaving and he's got a lot, a lot, a lot of steps before, <laughs> before that. So I, I want to remind of, of like those, you know, baby steps are, are great. And then, but make your stuff. So like, it's never too, too late to start or too early to start to make your own little story, make your little comics. For me, something that helped me in my career is making a comic book that I cared about that was showing my love for Miyazaki and that, that, that someone noticed and that actually my, my work work wouldn't have got me as far. Uh, so that, those are the two thoughts I have. I don't know, Andrea, if you. 
Yeah, no, I, I think that it's important. I mean, you know, find your own path. And I think that what's hard when you're young, you know, is like, you don't know what's ahead. You don't know the rest of your own story. And it's sometimes hard um, to live that and to not know in a lot of ways. But I think that trying to just embrace the opportunities that come in front of you. I mean, I interview people a fair bit and I mean, I'm always really interested in people who made the most of whatever was around them, you know, who really embraced things, found things, got scrappy, you know, had interesting experiences, contributed, learned, um, you know, we want the folks coming in with a bit of their own personality, their own um, perspective, you know, uh, to help. We're really collaborative place. So you're not going to um, make your own shorts and then come have your own style completely. But we want that contribution to the overall so that it can influence what ultimately ends up on screen. So I think it's just really creating and, and discovering your own perspective is important. And ultimately, your art when you're an artist is what shows that. So working on it and being dedicated to it, I think is important. I have kids and I see them get frustrated, you know, of like, ah, this didn't turn out how I wanted. And it's like, well, you know, if you want to draw a bird, draw a hundred, you know, uh, don't just give up on number one, you know, like you've got to keep at it. And, and that tenacity, you know, we, it does take us five years to make up a film. So you do need that tenacity. You do need that dedication and, and finding ways to show that before you, you participate in that, I think is important. Please don't take my sunshine away. Where did you boys say you were from? All right. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. It would be amazing if you could subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow the View Conference on all social media. We have some amazing sessions coming up and we hope to see you all there.